Hey there, welcome to Gross Anatomy. It's been a little while um, since our last podcast. Uh, well, here we are to uh, talk about the sights, smells, sounds of medicine as it relates to pop culture and entertainment and all that good stuff. And I'm joined by... As always, Lauren Taylor. Exactly. And we're just a duo again, and, and which I think is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, Disclaimer before we get started, while I am a doctor, I'm a cancer surgeon and general surgeon, and I am by no means an infectious disease doctor, which I guess will lead us into our topic of today, which is? Which is, well, you saw the movie Bohemian Rhapsody? I did. I saw the movie Bohemian Rhapsody. And and you can't talk about Freddie Mercury without talking about... AIDS, I feel like. Right. So we're going to talk about AIDS and pop culture and where we've come um, in terms of HIV, AIDS, and how it's portrayed in the media a little bit, and the movie more especially, yes. which you didn't see, and I I'm did upset not see, with you. But I thought I could kind of, um, yeah, I didn't see, but I read about, so I kind of want to see if what I read is true or not. What did you read about it? I read that it doesn't go into enough of, like, his diagnosis and him being a gay man. But then I also read that he was a very private person, and so maybe that's accurate. Maybe he just didn't talk about it. So I'm just going to start that I went to see the movie with my wife and three kids, three daughters, and we all loved the movie. We thought it was great. And uh, Rami Malek, I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right, did an amazing job of really portraying uh, Freddie Mercury. He spot-on kind of performance. Um, Since seeing the movie, have not been able to stop humming and singing the songs to myself. Uh, And overall, it was just a fun, great movie with a great performance. Um, Yeah, it wasn't really about AIDS, and it wasn't about HIV. Um, And I know there are a lot of people who are upset about that, that it kind of glossed over that and wasn't necessarily historical, historically accurate. Um, but it was still a fun, great movie, uh, and, and that's why I really enjoyed it. But it, it, it's a nice lead-in and step into HIV and AIDS. But before we even talk about that, did I talk about my qualm with that TV show I watched, and, and why did we discuss that yet on no, our last podcast? Not. So I'm just going to interrupt with, with a commercial. So one of the whole reasons why we why I wanted to start doing we didn't on our last one. Are you sure? I don't think about so. about Ozark. We didn't discuss that, or we did. No, we did not discuss that. But uh, you and I discussed it separately. We discussed it. So Ozark, which we just finished watching season two, which I loved. You loved? I loved. My wife and I loved it. We couldn't get enough of it. The very final, I think it was the final episode of of season two, or the second to last episode of season two, we were watching, and sure enough, a scene happens in the show, which is totally unrelated to Bohemian Rhapsody and HIV and AIDS. Um... But the whole reason why I wanted to do this. So the final scene, she has to identify her, uh, spoiler alert, she has to identify her dad who was killed. Um, What's her name in the show? I don't know. The young blonde. Ruth. Ruth. Ruth has to identify her dad if she's at the morgues. Oh, no, she's at the the funeral home. No, she's at the morgues. And for some reason, I don't totally understand. Oh, no, I guess it makes sense. There's an x-ray up uh, on a view box. 
And sure enough, the x-ray is backwards. <laughs> and no one other than someone who knows medicine would necessarily know that. But it just took me out of the scene and out of the... And, and I was like, why is that x-ray backwards? And I said to my wife, she's like, how do you know? I said, the cardiac silhouette is backwards unless for some reason the patient has reverses, uh, their organs reversed, which does occasionally happen. But um, so... I just had to interrupt. Yeah, they definitely probably don't have a doctor consultant on the show. It's probably just a prop designer, and they just put it up there. Right, but or maybe they notice. do, but they don't even care. Yeah. So I just had but to mention that. Exactly. So uh, back to Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> back to the Rhapsody. After our commercial. <laughs> Which that was. Um, so interesting, I finished... I started med school in 1987, which was, right? Did I start med school in 1987? Wow, I started med school in 1987, which some interesting things happened that year, right? That's actually supposedly when he was diagnosed, Freddie Mercury. Right. And when, yeah, a lot of people were getting diagnosed. And he died that year, right? No. He died in uh, 91, I believe. He died in 91, which is when I graduated med school. And, and, um, and one of the things in the movie is they said um, they kind of portrayed him having AIDS for a little while in the movie um, and then lived with it for a while. But I think in reality, um, his death after announcement came pretty quickly, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because he was denying it. I think he did it a month before he died. Yeah. He admitted it. What's interesting, I remember when I was just, when I was still in college and med school, AIDS, HIV was a was very scary still, e even though I think medically we were finding out a lot more and more. When did AZT come around? Was that 90? That was 87, right? Uh, the first kind of known treatment. I think so. Was 87. Uh, um, was it 87 or 91? I don't remember. I think it was 87. It was 87 uh, where they finally had something uh, to treat patients with was AZT. Um, but it was, it was very scary, and I remember um, in med school, I, I went to school in New York at a county hospital program, State University of New York uh, in Brooklyn called Downstate, and we saw what AIDS at, at least initially was, which, which would cause this, it stands for autoimmune uh, deficiency uh, syndrome. Um, and what happened is these people, uh, patients with AIDS, would have their immune system wiped out or, or just very low. And because of that, the risk from that would be opportunistic infections or just other infections that n aren't necessarily fatal but would rise up. And because these patients' immune systems were down, they would rise up and wreak havoc on people and, and would kill people. And then also some strange infections that you don't normally see um, in, in people with normal immune systems um, came up, something called Kaposi sarcoma, which is um, portrayed in a lot of the movies and TV, these people with the blotches on there, the spots or yeah, the blotches. Yeah, that's the movie Philadelphia with Tom Hanks. Philadelphia with Tom Hanks, right. So that's what I always think of, that right. blotchy, that's what it's called. Kaposi sarcoma. Okay. And that was often how patients would first present and then just totally segueing into I don't know what. When I was a fourth year medical student in 1990, I got to spend two months in Africa working in a mission hospital in Kenya, which was a fantastic experience. 
but I remember one day a man comes into our clinic in Africa, uh, an African, a Kenyan man, with a, like a hood, a drape, a shmata over his head. And he, came, he comes in, and I was hanging out with uh, one of the surgeons, I'm blanking on his name, amazing guy. Um, and the patient takes this hood off of his head, down around his shoulders. And his whole, the rest of his body, you couldn't really see, but he had these big kind of tumor balls all over his face, all over his body. And they looked like these, very different from the Kaposi sarcoma that we saw in America, which are these flat blotches, kind of scabs or scars. These were these big tumor things. And I was in, I had no idea what this was. And the African doctor goes to me, eh. I remember he goes, eh, he has AIDS. Like he, he knew right away, but he wasn't sure. And sure enough, we, uh, a couple days later, took the guy to the operating room, removed one of these tumors and found out that it was a Kaposi sarcoma, then tested him for AIDS um, and told, had to tell him that he had AIDS. And he had no idea, although he must have, you know, knew that something serious was up. But I remember early on in med school, sure, that was Africa with widespread um, um, crazier stuff that you would see, but it was much scarier. We, we were we didn't know um, how safe we were. We took extra precautions, and it was... That's something I was going to ask you about. What are the extra precautions that you take with an AIDS patient? Well, because of AIDS and because of hepatitis, and we kind of adopted something called universal protocol, which means that we, we, we don't discriminate, and we really don't. And back in the day, I think there was, and Philadelphia, the movie Philadelphia kind of did a good job at showing the discrimination at every level. But we've realized that for the most part, um, unless someone's doing something weird, wacky, or strange, you're not gonna transmit or get AIDS, HIV, the virus transmitted to you with any regular contact. So, but when we're in the operating room, when we're doing surgery, when we're doing anything that's potentially blood-borne, and some people say when you're making any contact with a patient, maybe you should put on gloves and just take those precautions. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't matter who it is. We kind of treat everybody as if they have something that they could give you. And everybody kind of figures out their own level of comfort to some degree. Um, but even just my touching the blood of someone with AIDS isn't going to give me AIDS. Um, it, it has to be blood-to-blood -blood contact or blood-to-mucosa contact or, or something like that. And even then, the person's viral load has to be, the, the blood has to have a certain amount of load of virus that's going to potentially infect me. And then interestingly, some patients are more susceptible to getting it and others aren't. And this is beyond my scope of knowledge and I'm probably even spewing some things that I don't even know, not being an infectious disease doctor. But it's amazing how that movie kind of touches upon it, back mm -hmm. to Bohemian Rhapsody, about um, how much we didn't know about it and how kind of clandestine it was in the beginning. And and there was also the movie with Matthew McConaughey. Um, Dallas Buyers Club. Dallas Buyers Club, that I must That confess. went into what AZT, right? And the struggle to get, get right. the drug because they weren't, the tests weren't finished with it yet. And they were right. like, just give it to us, we're dying. Right, but, they, but AZT had a lot of side effects too. And I think in that movie... It was some other drugs that uh, Matthew McConaughey wound up taking that were helping him more than the AZT. The problem with the, that was it was uh, a placebo study. So some patients got the AZT, some patients just got placebo, which means they didn't get anything at all. Um, but that 
I didn't see the whole movie, but showed uh, an interesting perspective of how taboo it was and how scary it was and how much we didn't know. And and then in 1991, um, wasn't it Magic Johnson? Yes, it was. That came out and told everyone that he had AIDS. Right. Which is when I graduated... Mm, no. In 91... Oh, no, I graduated med school in 91. I am total... No. I graduated college in 91. Damn, I'm losing my <laughs> mind. Don't listen to anything I say on this thing. I graduated high school in 87, and I graduated college in 91. So I was in med school in 94. I was in Africa. Wow, I'm all over the place. We're going to have to edit this out like you can't <laughs> believe. So I was in... In 94, I was in Kenya. and the And by then, we knew a whole lot more. But in 91, Magic Johnson came out when I was starting med school. Right. And he I came out because he knew I was starting med school <laughs> and he wanted to help me. And there was a documentary recently that went into that and just how powerful it was that he decided to become the spokesperson of AIDS. Like, how brave that was. I mean, nobody wanted to play basketball with him, but he said that he did it and the person that really saved his life was an AIDS activist named Elizabeth Glasser, who was actually the wife of a film director and a producer. Um, but she got AIDS through a transfusion, and mm. she actually ended up giving it to her daughter through breastfeeding, and then later to her son. They didn't know she had it for, like, four years. And apparently she didn't give it to her husband because he had some kind of genetic... Like, he was more immune to it, which I had never heard of before. So he did not ever get the disease. But she ended up dying, and her daughter ended up dying. But she wow. was the one that told him how important it was. She said that you need to become the face of this disease now. And he did. And that's amazing about, you know, it's crazy with diseases and illness and celebrities, how they have such a large platform and influence. And the best thing that ever happened to AIDS was Magic Johnson, as horrible as that sounds. I mean, he saved so many people's lives. Right, and I think people were naive and just thinking, just this is something gay men get. Right. You know, it's not. And right. it's And it affects the the black, you know, heterosexual community pretty hard. And so he was very upfront about that and, like, how people should use protection and what they should do and how different treatments. And Right. And it really helped raise awareness and then raise funding, which has led to making AIDS a... Uh, not AIDS necessarily, HIV, the virus, really a chronic disease now. Mm -hmm. um, that's something that... Um, you look at Magic Johnson, he looks better than I look, you know? It's, no, he does. And it, yeah. that's kind of what... I didn't know if you know about this, but it's like, is it a combination, like, now of different drugs you can take? Like, I, I'm, yeah. I've never been able to understand that. Yeah, like, so what's insane is that when I first started my medical journey, there was really one or maybe a couple of treatments, and now there are over 40 different treatments and cocktails and different kind that's of... That's what it is, cocktails. Yeah, co they call it a cocktail, actually. That's one of the terms they use for it. Different kinds of cocktails to help um, keep the immune system up and the viral load down, um, which keeps patients completely well. So well that you wouldn't even know they have the disease and they have no symptoms. Some patients do have some side effects from some of the medications, um, but it's it's pretty amazing, and it... You know, well, it keeps it from. I guess I should say he, Magic Johnson has HIV, so he's right. kept he it from becoming AIDS. AIDS. And and it's rare 
these days if someone has AIDS. Patients may develop AIDS if they're untreated or don't know about it or develop some other immune disabling dr uh, disease or sometimes someone develops, um, it has to be on some immune suppression for something else. Maybe they've had a transplant or, and then it might let the AIDS, uh, HIV take over and pot potentially put someone at risk of AIDS. Um, but these days we, it's, it's much, much less common. Because it, so if you get HIV, it can basically, I, what is it called? Where it just it's kind of goes away or it's dormant? It can be dormant, and, and some patients' viral loads, the load of, from the, the HIV virus, is, is undetectable in the bloodstream. It doesn't mean it's not there, but, but it, it means it's, it's undetectable. Um, and I don't know the answer to what you're thinking of asking, which is, is it curable? Which is what, and yeah. I don't know that answer. I don't know if people consider it a cure. I don't know if it's, I don't know that answer. And I don't know if we necessarily need to, but I, I guess, sure, why not? Mm -hmm. But if it's something that's um, just chronic and not causing any real symptoms, that's great. But sure, certainly it'd be nice to not have to need these medications so that uh, one could be cured. Right. I remember there was an ER episode and the doctor, like, she was treating an AIDS patient with a needle, and then the needle went through her glove, and it was, like, a whole thing. She had to take all this medicine right after to, I guess, stop her from getting uh, HIV. Or, right. And she did keep taking it, even though it was hurting her liver. She ended up not getting it. I didn't know if that was just, like, an ER thing. No, or that's kind of true. So so there, there are still precautions. It's... What's nuts is it's still fairly common to get stuck by needles, you know, healthcare workers. I, it'd be interesting. I'd love to know that number oh, so that of people is. who get stuck by needles. I must confess, I've gotten stuck by a needle. Really? Yeah. And um, it's so common, and believe it or not, and usually these are small bore, very small needles, and the likelihood... Uh, I don't think I've been stuck by an, a patient with HIV's needles, although you never know, uh, and a lot of times we don't test these people, but um, a lot of times, the, because the needles are so small, the blood, you, A, you may not even get any kind of blood injected into your system, but even still, the likelihood that there's virus there and enough virus to cause a problem is also very low. And just the nature of getting stuck by the needle doesn't mean someone's squirting blood into me. Right. Um, but because of that theoretical risk of blood of of the virus getting into your system, there is medication to take, um, and I don't know what the standard regimen now is or how long you take it for, that you take for X amount of time, and it could be six months to a year, I don't remember, I have no clue anymore, um, that would prevent the virus from um, Taking, taking active, hold? yeah, okay. taking hold. And so it's a real thing, it's a true thing, and the and you really only want to take it if you find out that that person that you got stuck with has AIDS, has HIV, because there are side effects from the medications. Like you said, like there is some liver toxicity oh, and all that ER stuff. I wonder ER was such a good show. Yeah, so that, that, that is actually true. I, I don't know what the standard is these days. Um, I think most, a lot of times people kind of don't even bother, but... but um, but well, you need to, and you should. Um, I didn't think about that. I guess you don't. I mean, you go to you do surgeries all the time, but you don't test the people for AIDS beforehand. You usually just, not. So okay. there's a whole protocol. You would then afterwards go to the patient and say, hey, listen, I got stuck by da-da-da-da. Do you mind getting tested? And okay. the patient 
sometimes might say I do mind and won't or you know wow yeah um, it's more likely more common to get hepatitis if you get stuck with a needle rather than HIV um, but is that something you test for yeah okay that, that you would also do the same thing oh, and you would find out okay. and maybe take precaution too for hepatitis you would you would worry about both of those two things um, and that's still a reality to this day, and that's why you take what's called universal precautions. But this crazy thing is, is it happens more often than people would think. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, Some people double glove in the operating room. They put a second pair of gloves thinking that maybe the needle's only going to pierce the outer layer, not the inner layer. I never double glove. So I feel like that would be hard to operate like that with two gloves on. Well, that's my feeling. I, I feel with the gloves alone, I lose some tactile sensation. Two gloves, I'm going to lose even more, and it's going to be tight and uncomfortable. I'd rather have my better um, dexterity and feel more comfortable, and hopefully I'll be safer and more comfortable and less chance of getting stuck by a needle. And then there are these precautions that you take. You kind of make sure not to hand off the needles, and you put the needle um, into maybe a basin, or you put it down, and no one, and someone doesn't pick the needle back up until they're sure it's placed down. Same thing with scalpels, and there are certain precautions like that. And you're just more aware, and you let everybody in the room know, hey, this patient has HIV we're operating on, or hepatitis, or whatever. Um, and that certainly still to this day happens. Okay. Yeah. So in the movie, I guess I have a question about Bohemian Rhapsody. It's how do they end the movie? Like, do they just say like he died of AIDS? Yes, the movie ends where they recreate that Live Aid concert, um, and it's amazing. It's an amazing performance again by Rami Malek. Because um, he, 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 I watched the Live Aid performance, it's kind of like exactly the performance that they do on stage, and it's the whole concert almost which is kind of funny. It's just like watching a concert. Um, and then they, they start right before the concert, uh, shortly before he tells his bandmates they get back together again. Oh, I have AIDS. Then they do the concert. And then I think it does end, you know, the concert. And then they say, and he died of AIDS in 19-whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And that's how the movie ends. And, and they're, they're, so, so it's not about the AIDS. It's really more about, the movie's about the rise of Queen and Queen, you know, and the band and, and the lead singer. Well, from doing research, that seems like that might be more accurate anyways. Because he was still in love with, uh, I guess, Mary Austin. or She's in the movie, right? Right. That figure. And she like, was great. He left her his, like, estate, a lot of, like, um, recordings to his music or rights to his recordings. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how comfortable he was with being out anyways. Right. It, it, I, I think the gay community and I think and I think people who are interested in the real accuracy of the movie might be a little upset about that it didn't focus on that but I don't think that was the goal of the movie I think the movie was really just to entertain and tell about Queen and this guy's rise in the from just a guy to slowly become Freddie Mercury right and the good thing that Queen the rest of the band did after he died was they did a lot of um AIDS benefits and different stuff like that. The same as like Magic Johnson does the Magic Johnson Foundation. Like right. these people are active and helping. Out of nowhere, I just remembered Saint Elsewhere, which was the TV show. I don't know if I talked about it on any of our previous podcasts. When I was growing up, there was a TV show called Saint Elsewhere. Um, did we ever talk about it? You talked about one show like that made you want to become a doctor. But was it that, that was one? Saint Elsewhere? Uh -huh. Yeah, and that was Denzel Washington was in that show, okay. and Mark Harmon 
was an actor in that show, and he played a surgeon. And I think he was a promiscuous surgeon or something. He messed around a lot. And he got AIDS, I remember, in that. It just came to me now. And, and I, I think he dies in the show as well. Um, was he allowed to be a doctor with AIDS? I don't remember. I, I think that was part the of the stuff. Story. I don't know okay. if he was. And I think he died fairly quickly and got sick. Um, but that was a great little storyline. I don't know why I'm thinking about it, but that was, that was I think, my first seeing of what AIDS was. And, and then just a little aside was, um, before AIDS was that silly TV movie, I think with John Travolta, called The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. Did you know about that? No, I don't know that. Which is a kid who had no immune system, um, which to some degree is kind of what AIDS was, and his parents kept him in a plastic bubble. And, you know, living in this house in these plastic walls and no one was allowed to come in contact with them because they were afraid that any illness, anything may come in contact with them and ultimately kill them. Uh, and I don't even know if I watched the whole thing. I think my sisters loved it because they loved John Travolta. Um, but it was just interesting how early on in the beginning we knew nothing about it and it was scary. It was really scary. And, and the thought was that anything could cause these, uh, you know, Infections to rise up and catch on in these patients. So, what and were you them. guys doing, like when you first started seeing these AIDS patients, like in Africa? What were you able to do for them? By the time I was already, my dates were wrong. So, by the time I was already a med student, there was AZT. Okay. Um, so you would 91. basically like give them cocktail drugs. I think you know I I. I didn't spend that much time in the infectious disease okay. or, or even the medicine rotations. They were short. Um, but we, we did see a lot of AIDS, and we saw a lot of AIDS and a lot of something called pneumocystis carini or carnini PCP, which, which is a type of pneumonia that you only saw in immunocompromised patients, and it would cause this classic X-ray finding, and, um, and it was cool infectious disease stuff, but it was getting these patients crazy sick, and they had a propensity to getting tuberculosis, which um, now is so uncommon, but in patients whose immune system is down, something like TB may, and, and interestingly, at the hospital where I was, we had an entire tuberculosis ward where these patients were cordoned off, and we walked through, and we had to wear special masks and gowns, and you kind of walk through a special, um, into a whole ward through a special door, it was like, you know, and you were like Star Wars a little, and it was pretty amazing. And the ward was packed with patients, the tuberculosis ward. These days that wouldn't happen because AIDS barely, rarely is that, is that aggressive and that prominent, prevalent, uh, at least in New York, uh, California. Um, it was a really interesting time. And I wasn't even there at the beginning when, when it was just killing everybody left and right. We already had treatments by the time I was there, but, but it was still very new. So I, I just want to remind everybody that, um, again, the whole reason why we do this is kind of just to discuss how movies and television and pop culture re relate to these kinds of topics, just to, to kind of just give us all a framework and think about things. Again, I'm a surgeon. I'm by no means an infectious disease doctor, and this isn't necessarily my expertise. It's certainly an interest, and um, I think the movie did a, a fairly good job of... Um, 
touching upon AIDS and HIV and kind of giving us a glimpse and giving people at the, giving us a glimpse of what it was like back then too how much we really didn't know and how scary it was and how imminently fatal it was because it really was back then um, and I and I thought the movie did a good job of that even though there might be some historical inaccuracies well, I want to see it now you've convinced me it's fun yeah I, I mean I don't it's think, doing really well people yeah like it. it's it's totally fun the music is great and how they did the music is great and the guys in the band were great and and the the woman who plays his wife yeah was great and she's in this cute other little movie that has nothing to do with um, gross anatomy stuff called Sing Street um, which I loved um, is it out now? no it was out know. a couple of years ago it was a fun movie I recommend it Sing Street alright I'll look into it there you go gross anatomy thanks you're welcome <laughs> that's it for this week thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights smells and sounds of medicine <laughs>